This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church podcast. For more information about us, who we are, and how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Today's message is delivered by Pastor Randy Roche. So our worship series is called Credo, I Believe, and we started a couple of weeks ago uh, by stating that we believe that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God and is the sole source and authority for all that we believe, all we teach, and all that we confess. So last week we began in the beginning, the opening chapters of Genesis, and we looked at the creation story and we saw how a loving God created all things out of nothing. Well, today that brings us into a relationship with God, and we find that through the commandments. And the commandments were brought up in a conversation Jesus had with with a man who runs up to him as Jesus is about to set off on a journey. And if we were standing there, we'd we'd be privy to this whole conversation. And and a question is asked of Jesus by this this young man, and, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is always the nagging question of the human being. How am I going to get to heaven? What do I have to do in order to get to heaven? And as Jesus is confronted with this question, Jesus confronts this man with the commandments. And he does so, so that the young man would be able to identify who he really is. Because it seems, it seems he has a misperception of who he is. How he sees himself. And maybe as we eavesdrop on Jesus' conversation, maybe we have a chance to better understand who we are. And maybe our first question should be this, how do we see ourselves? Well, take a look at how the young man in our text saw himself. Matthew records this account, so does Mark, which is where our gospel comes from today, but also Luke does as well. Now, Matthew identifies this guy as being young. He said a young man came up to Jesus. Luke said a ruler came up to Jesus. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke all identify that he had great wealth, great possessions. This is why we end up calling him the rich young ruler. Think about it. You are young and you are rich And you get to call the shots. I was young once. I've never been rich once. And every once in a while, my wife lets me call the shots. I've never had all three at the same time. Well, this guy approaches Jesus, and the first words out of his mouth are, Good teacher. Oh, Jesus responds, why are you calling me good? No one is good but God alone. Now, let's not misinterpret this. Jesus is not saying, oh, don't call me good because I'm not God. Not at all. What he's doing, it's the beginning of self-reflection for the young man. Really, I see the young man coming out looking for a pat on the back from Jesus because he believes he's pretty good. And really what he's saying is, hey, look it, here's two really good guys that are meeting together. From one good guy to another good guy. And no doubt he was a good guy. 
He might have even been led to believe the reason he is in a position of rule and wealth is because God thinks he's a good guy too. And we might be tempted to fall into that same perception about ourselves. Because we are good, aren't we? I mean, we pay our taxes. A lot of them. And we support our church. Generously. And we're good neighbors. And we work hard. Even when we retire, we work hard. We're good people, let's face it. Do you ever wonder how others look at us? Now, I think, I think the neighbors and the contemporaries of the rich young ruler saw him pretty much the same way he saw himself. I mean, no doubt he was a good guy because he walked according to the laws of God and he said that he did it even when he was young. In other words, I was really a good guy before anyone expected me to be a good guy. When all the other kids were naughty, I was a gem. I was wonderful. And maybe he was. I'm sure he was a hard worker. You don't have a position of leadership or a lot of possessions unless you've really committed yourself to working hard. I'm sure he was a good neighbor. And he was probably a generous member of the community. And I'm thinking he was a really good son. And I'll bet you there were a lot of ladies in the neighborhood who were praying that he would become their good son-in-law. community must have loved him. And maybe that's the way neighbors see us. Right? We're good people. We live in some really good neighborhoods around here. That's why we live here, isn't it? And we're kind. And we're helpful. And we're connected. And we support our schools. And we coach our youth teams. And when a neighbor goes by, we stop and we wave. We're friendly people. Wonderful people. Let's face it, we're good. I mean, we're really good people here. So let's do this. Let's look again. This time, let's take a longer look, or maybe I should say, let's take a deeper look. Because, you know, when we examine ourselves, we like to compare ourselves to other people. We judge our goodness according to maybe the badness of other folks. Have you ever noticed that? If you're going to compare yourself, you compare yourself to the crabby neighbor, the one who doesn't wave, the one who has a scowl on his face, and the one who snatches the frisbee from the kids who have it thrown into his yard, and you're not getting it back. We compare ourselves to the neighbors that never volunteer. Or maybe we compare ourselves to the people who don't go to church. Or, or maybe we compare ourselves to those whose political and social views are different than ours. And they're not good people. But we are. We're good people. We're really good people. But maybe we need to, maybe we need to examine our lives 
in reference to the Ten Commandments. But even then we have to be careful, don't we? Because we could fall into the same thinking as the rich young ruler. Could you just see him? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts ticking off those commandments. I'll bet you this guy was like five foot six when Jesus started. He was probably six foot two when Jesus got done. He probably grew every time Jesus mentioned, well, now I follow that commandment and that one and that one. I've been doing that one since I was a little kid. None of the other boys ever did it. I'm great. I've got it made, I'm perfect. And we might be led to believe the same thing. Early in my ministry, I mean early in my ministry, 40 years ago, I had a young couple that were planning on getting married and they sat in my office and she was a member of the congregation I used to serve and uh, he was unchurched and we had a little conversation about Christianity and, and he said, you know, I don't mind getting married in the church. That's kind of cool and it's a nice church and it'll be really good for pictures and stuff. But I really don't believe in God. I said, okay. But what about after this life? You know, what do you do with your faults and your failures and your shortcomings? I said, in, in, in the Christian world, we call those sins. Oh, he said, not a problem. I'm not a sinner. So I figure this girl's either marrying Jesus or this guy has a different definition than I do of sin. And, and, I, and I asked him, I said, go on, explain to me, uh, you know, how you're sinless. He said, well, I've never killed anybody and I've never committed adultery. So he, he kind of boiled the Ten Commandments down to the, to the two biggies and, and eight nice suggestions. But we even had a discussion about those two. I said, you know, Jesus, Jesus addressed that. He said, whoever looks lustfully at another person's already committed adultery and anyone who hates is a murderer. But we're good, aren't we? I mean, we're really, really good. Paul reminds us in, in Romans 10.3, it's just a short Bible verse. None is righteous. No, not one. Not one of us is righteous. Not one of us is perfect. You know, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law and the scribes. These were people who believed that they were self Righteous. In other words, they made themselves righteous by all of their works and their actions. And, and they believed that, that God loved them because they were so good, or God embraced them because they were so good, or God was going to let them into heaven because they were so good. And Jesus said, okay, if you really, really want to use that line of thinking, then understand this. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know how you measure up, but I don't. See, this is exactly what the rich young ruler would soon discover in his conversation with Jesus. He was very, very proud as he announced that he kept all of the commandments, even since he was young. But did you notice there was still... There was a shadow of a doubt. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've done all of these things, but in the back of my mind, I'm still wondering. And, and Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. 
The next verse is probably one of the saddest in all of Scripture. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's not misinterpret this one either. Jesus isn't saying that having things is bad. What he's saying is when things have us, that's bad. You see this young rich ruler thought his possessions were proof positive that God was impressed with his lifestyle, that he measured up and so God was lavishing all of this on him because he deserved it, he earned it, he merited it. But really what he finds out is that this was a breach of the first commandment couldn't get rid of what he had because it identified who he was. Became his God. He became his God. I wonder how God looks at that. How does God see us? God disdains sin. He detests sin. But he looks upon us with compassion. Did you, did you hear that, that Mark says, but Jesus, when he looked at him, loved him. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. He loved him. And God loves us. Broken, lost, needing rescue, confused, Arrogant? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves us so much that he came to do what we can't. And when Jesus came into this world in this sin stain, this broken, this arrogant, self-sustaining world, We are told that he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd, going their own way, trying to blaze their own trail and getting farther and farther away from the ranch. And he's come to call us back, to redeem us and rescue us. Out of grace, only grace. Not because of who we are or what we have done, but because, because we are the object of his love. And he came to do what we can't. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus was perfect. Tempted in every way we are, says the writer of the Hebrews, and yet never sinned. And he did that not for himself, but for us. And he took the stain and the guilt of our sin to the cross and paid our penalty and crucified our guilt. And now we who hold to Jesus, who follow Jesus, who, who look at all that we have done, all that we possess and say, I'm not identified by any of it, but rather I follow Jesus. And so now, when our Heavenly Father looks at us, now He sees us through the cross of Christ. 
He sees us as his forgiven children, dearly loved and destined for heaven, which means because of God's love, we can take yet one more look at ourselves. And, and there's three ways that we can look at ourselves. Two are very devastating. So let us not look at ourselves through our own accomplishments, our positions, our power, or our possessions. Because this is the same trap that the rich young ruler fell into, thinking that we are good enough to earn our way into God's graces, into God's heaven. And also, let's not look at ourselves through our guilt and our shame because this is the trap the devil wants to lay for us. And he whispers in our ear, oh, you're not good enough to be loved by God. Don't listen. Let us look at ourselves only through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we do, we will see that the greatest accomplishments ever made on earth were made only by Jesus. When we see ourselves through the cross of Christ, we will see that forgiveness that has moved shame away and brought joy in. And when we see our redeemed lives through the cross of Jesus, we'll be able to see others through the cross of Jesus. No longer comparing ourselves, but sharing ourselves. When you look through the cross of Jesus and see others, then you see that you get to love as you have been loved. You get to care for others as God continues his care for you. You get to be merciful as you have been shown mercy. If you came here today thinking that your life needs more joy and maybe even a deeper purpose, then see yourself through the cross of Jesus and embrace his gifts of faith and forgiveness Hold on to his promises of new and eternal life. And if you came here today thinking that your life needs a bit more meaning and greater direction, then rather than thinking about the things that we have accomplished, let's think about why gave us, God gave us gifts and abilities and talents. That we would be able to share them with others. To glorify him who has rescued us. So let us go and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. We'll see you next week, and God bless.